We're going to jump in Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse 36 through 39 is what's been really our focus for uh, the last three weeks and in going into next week as well. Uh, Jesus gives this conversation in response to a question. He says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And his response, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've been taking the month of May to look at this second commandment that he's getting, not an absence of the first one as we saw last week, but because of that first commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, we then have, should have a natural desire to love our neighbor as ourselves. And some of you have shared some things with me about your neighbors. Some of it's been funny. Some of it's been prayerful. Uh, some of it's been incredible moments that you've had with them. But here's what I know. You live in a neighborhood, an apartment complex, a trailer park. You live on a, a lot out in the middle of nowhere. But you've got neighbors. And what I mean by that, you have people in your life that need you to minister to them, to meet a need for them. The greatest need they have is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but some of them have very attainable needs that we can meet, that we can be a part of, that we can love. You've got neighbors. Some of you have neighbors that's a single parent that are figuring out how to just make the day happen. Just just a single parent, just trying to figure out how it goes on. You, You may have, living beside you, a single senior adult who is wondering, is somebody gonna knock on my door next? Is somebody going to check on me? Or they may even be thinking, if somebody knocks on my door, can I open the door to the person? That's your neighbor for some of you. Some of you have a neighbor, and it's a senior adult couple. And they are growing older in their years, and they're trying to figure out how do we care for each other in the golden years. I love what Billy Graham says about the golden years. He said, whoever called the olden years the golden years has never gotten older, all right, um, from him as he, said, as he states that. There's a couple living around you that's probably celebrating something, an anniversary. But there's also somebody celebrating. There's somebody walking through the difficulties as a neighbor who wish they were going to be celebrating an anniversary this year. And for a whole lot of reasons, some of those aren't happening. And they're your neighbors. Some of your neighbors are putting up balloons for, co- for high school and college graduations, right? They got them attached to their mailbox. Graduation parties are about to take place. Those are your neighbors. Your neighbors, maybe one or more of them statistically in our world. This is not a Christian statistic. It's a Davidson County statistic. One or more of your neighbors, if you live in a community, one or more of your neighbors are dealing with an addiction. One or more of your neighbors are dealing with an addiction of some type in their lives. There's a neighbor, as you're leaving and you're coming home from church, there's a neighbor leaving to go to work. There's a neighbor leaving to go to dance recital, to go to a a soccer practice, to go to another event. They're going everywhere. You're passing, you know, in the the road. You're, You're waving at them. They're going somewhere else. They're your neighbors. You've got a neighbor who knows everything about the neighborhood, because they peek out the blinds and watch what everybody's doing, right? Some of you are like, is that a problem? Because that's me, all right? <laughs> you got neighbors. And God has placed you in those mission fields, not me. And he's placed you in the lives of some people that I will never interact with. And God has given us the power. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the command to go and make disciples, yes, of all nations. But one of those nations and one of those communities and one of those towns is yours. One of those neighborhoods is yours. 
And so as we look this morning, we're going to see just another reminder that neighbors are people. They're not a project. And what Jesus is going to do today is nothing short of scandalous. It's a story that many of you are familiar with. It's a story about a gentleman who lives in Jericho. Jericho is... uh, used to be, in the Old Testament, was a very important city, very prominent city, but now not so much. Jerusalem is now where all the activity is taking place. And Jesus is en route from where he's been through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And don't forget, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, some people are going to herald him as king and some are going to mock him. When he gets to Jerusalem, he is going to be nearing his crucifixion. So Jesus is en route to the ultimate moment of forgiveness and sacrifice for our sins. And as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's in Jericho, and he has a moment with a tax collector, and not just any tax collector. He's greedy. He's an overcharging lowlife in Jericho. And many of you have heard his story growing up. It sounds like this out of Luke Chapter 19, he entered Jericho and passed, was passing through. Behold, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran out ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Some of you learned the song when you were a kid, right? You can sing it one with me. Here we go, all right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see. Lord, he wanted to see. I mess it up every time. As the Savior came that way and looked up in the tree, different versions, and he said, For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. That's a really cute song. It's not real biblical. So I rewrote it. Zacchaeus was a small-statured man who liked to cheat and steal. If he saw you coming with something new, he'd say, let's make a deal. None of his neighbors in the town wanted to talk to him. So when Jesus stopped and went into his house, surely it was a sin. But after hanging out with Jesus, he repented of his wrong. So 2,000 years later, we cleaned up the story and put it in a song. (laughs) It's true. If we want, I'm not finished yet. I mean, I got more, all right? If we want to follow the command and do ourselves a favor, we listen to the words of Jesus and learn to love our neighbor. There you go, all right? But see, here's the, here's the reality. Here's the reality. We don't want to put that in a we worship song in preschool choir, do we? We don't want to say Zacchaeus was a lying thief and everybody in town knew it. That doesn't go over well to three-year-olds, right? You don't want them coming home singing that version of the song. Let's don't clean it up, though. Let's don't clean this guy up this morning. You're going to see in a moment that as a response to encountering repentance and meeting Jesus, that he is going to identify and let us know this guy was a thief. He was a criminal. He was somebody that nobody wanted to spend time with. And who does Jesus choose to be a neighbor to? Zacchaeus. 
if you don't think there's been controversy and scandal surrounding this Jesus movement yet, there's going to be. If you don't think Jesus has flipped the religious system upside down when he walks in from town to town to town, he's about to. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up, come down. For I must stay at your house today. I want us to see something here. This phrase, for I must, is a phrase that Jesus has used multiple times. One of the times he used with the woman at the well. He says to the disciples, I must go through. I have to go through Samaria. Geographically, the direction he was going in that moment of his life, he didn't have to go through. There was other ways around. But he said, I must go through that way. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He says, I must go to your house. Zacchaeus thinks that this is a random moment in his life, but have no doubts, this interaction with Jesus was a divine appointment. I must go to your house. I must go to the house of the guy in town that nobody wants to be his neighbor. Because he's taken advantage of his neighbors. He's collected more in taxes than he should have. And so what was it that drew him to go up in a tree and to, to scope out Jesus? Maybe it was because Jesus, one of his disciples that he called previously in life, was what? A tax collector. Maybe it's because numerous times in the gospel, also, there's accounts of when people were baptized, repented. There's a couple of moments where it records in Scripture that the people that were being baptized were tax collectors. Maybe he's heard of the miracles taking place. Maybe it's just the sheer size of the crowd that's coming into town. People are coming ahead saying, here comes this, this, this radical teacher. And so he climbs up in a tree. What drives... An adult man, wealthy in society, to climb a tree. Something he had heard, something that he had seen or experienced or word had gotten to him made him want to do something so absurd as an adult man climbing up a tree. Don't don't take that detail out. So he climbs up in a tree, and Jesus says, I've got to go to your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. Two, two different reactions here in this moment. So he hurried down and came down and re- received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Uh-oh. Things are getting a little crazy. Joyfully, Zacchaeus comes down. And he's excited. Somebody wants to have dinner with him. And not just any somebody. This guy that would, everybody in the crowd would want to take him to dinner. And he's going to come. I must go to your house. I have an appointment at your house. But the crowd, they're not happy about it, are they? Scripture says, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. I have no doubt that in this group there were religious people. There were people from the community. There were Jews. There might have been Gentiles that were in this group that were of varying racial backgrounds and differences in the community. But they found unison in something, didn't they? They all grumbled. They didn't like the fact 
that the guy that's considered unreachable, the big sinner in town, Jesus, why don't you, you, you go around the corner? I've got, a, I've got a sick mother-in-law. Could you go around the corner and take care of her? Jesus, I, I, could, take you to, uh, I could take you and set up a, a meeting for you. You could preach to hundreds of people that don't know you. What are you doing? You know what grumbling is. You've grumbled before. If you've driven south on Interstate 85 in the last year and a half, you have grumbled between exits 68 and 55, all right? Grumbling is not a hidden thing. It's not a, well, I don't want to tell anybody. Grumbling is an out loud expression. These folks are talking out loud. How is he going there? Why is he going there? Doesn't he know this guy's story? Doesn't he know his background? Doesn't he know that using his government position, he's a thief? Doesn't he know Zacchaeus' record? You better believe he does. And I don't think it's coincidental because he must go meet with Zacchaeus. It was a divine appointment on his way to be the sacrifice for the sins of not the religious, not the right, not the cleaned up, but as he's going to declare in a moment, the lost. He's on his way to become a sacrifice and a payment for sin for the unreachable. The society clearly, by their reaction, he's gone to be with a sinner. See, we would never say this out loud. We would never tell anybody the categories of people that we might classify as unreachable in our lives. Big sinners, right? I mean, they they do big, bad things. They've done things in their lives, man, I I don't know. I mean, I can talk to that guy. He's kind of medium on the sin chart, but this guy, I mean, they're hardcore things in his life, and I don't know. I'll serve Jesus with my coworker who agreed to go to church with me, but but that guy, he's got a story. I mean, pastor. This guy, he, he, he's hardened, and he's ruthless, and he's unkind. But Scripture also tells us there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 22, it says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace, made right by the grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a payment for by His blood to be received by faith. What's amazing to me about this story is that it is scandalous. But it's not Zacchaeus' story only. It's your story. It's my story. Because while we would like to say, well, again, on that meter of sinfulness, I mean, I know somebody who's worse than me, but according to Paul and according to Scripture, he says, for there is no distinction. We have all sinned. Zacchaeus is in there with this in the mix. And so are those that we would say they're holy and religious that he's speaking to that are on the outside grumbling. Jesus is declaring the need for repentance. 
for all have sinned. And while they're grumbling, while they're complaining, Jesus was leading this man to repentance. While they're on the outside trying to figure out what does this mean for this movement, Jesus is inside doing what he is called and sent to do. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. If I've defrauded, right? If I've ripped them off, I'm going to do this fourfold. The law would have said he would have to give back time and a half. So give them back what he took from them and then give them 50% back more additional. He's going to give this fourfold. No one knows what the conversation was inside the house of this man. We don't have it. But we have other moments where Jesus confronts those living in sin. John chapter 4, we have the woman at the well. Jesus didn't clean up her life. He didn't make it all roses. He had a conversation with her and at one point said, go get your husband. She says, well, I can't. This one's, and she pauses and he says, oh, the reason you can't is because the one that you're living with now is not your husband and the five before that. He didn't clean that up. He didn't make it easy, did he? He confronted out of compassion, out of love, and I have no doubt that inside the house, while the church people are outside grumbling who he's inside with, Jesus is on the inside and he's leading this man to repentance. How do we know this? Because of repentance leads to action. Action is not repentance. Repentance leads to action. And this guy had a radical change in his 30-minute or two-hour, we don't know the time span. And we don't know if he declares this publicly Or standing on the street corner, he says, but hey, everybody, let me just tell you something. If I've taken something from you, here you go, fourfold. Earlier in this story, it told us that he was rich. He wasn't going to be rich long, was he? It was going to go real quick. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. Again, I don't have time to go much into this reference here, but I need to give you a little bit. Because if this story wasn't a powder keg waiting to blow up in Jericho, Jesus just lit the match. Because here's what he's saying to, to some good Jewish folks that are standing around. Zacchaeus is now considered a son like Abraham. And Scripture tells us that that Abraham believed and it was counted to to him as righteousness. The same was true for Zacchaeus? That guy? The one that everybody in town knows his background and knows his story and knows his history? He's a son of Abraham? He is on the status with a scribe and a Pharisee? No, he's greater. Because he has experienced to become a son of Abraham through believing Abraham. And counted to him as righteousness. This is a radical moment of being a neighbor. This is Jesus loving the neighbor that as we've been walking through this series, some of you have been thinking, you don't know my neighbor. But I would challenge you, instead of examining it from that light, you don't know my neighbor. Maybe we need to be examining in light of, have we thought very often about who we are? For there is no distinction. For there's no difference. We have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God has given us grace as a gift, justified us, cleansed us, poured out his blood for us. 
as a payment for your sins. And then he tells us, reminds us of the mission. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is reminding the crowd, I came to seek and to save the lost. This is the guy. These are the people. The other moments, yes, those as well. But I came to seek and to save the lost. Think about it in this light. Jesus had a mission to seek and save the lost. Yet as he ascended and left this earth, he commanded us to go and make disciples. Then he charged us with the mission. Then he empowered us with the Holy Spirit and God's word in our lives. And if his mission was to seek and to save the lost, then logic from those statements would tell us then our mission as followers of Jesus is to seek and to save the lost. Nothing's changed. It's been placed on every single one of us in this room. This is not a preacher coming down on a congregation. This is a a pastor as a person examining his faith and calling you to examine yours as well. If Jesus had a mission to seek and to save the lost, then you have a mission to seek and to save the lost. You may not want to grab a hold of that, but that is your purpose as a follower of Jesus. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean when Neighbors that we would qualify and say, man, they're a Zacchaeus or they're a tough one to love. What what does it mean when society would even cast them and say, man, they're unreachable? They got too bad of a background. I want to give you a couple reminders. First, remember Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And in that seek and save the lost, that includes you and I. For there is no distinction. Remember, there is no distinction in our need for a Savior. There's not a list that tips the scale and says, okay, well, you got that much sin. Okay, you're over the ledge. No, all of us have sinned. There's no distinction. We're all in need of the grace of God. Remember, there's no distinction in our need for a Savior. How do we continue to live life in our neighborhoods? Well, also, we begin to pray for a divine appointment. Romans chapter 9. I want to read a verse that's not on the screen this is Paul speaking about his, his desire to see others that he's close to repent to be saved. He says, For I wish, for I could wish that I myself, listen to this, I were accursed and cut off from Jesus Christ for the sake of my brothers. That's a neighbor. Apostle Paul is saying, listen, if, I, if I've got to be cut off from Christ so that they will come to Christ, I mean, that's a proclamation that very few of us are, are willing to really make. I'll cut myself off from eternity with him if they will come to him. I mean, a massive statement from Paul. But we can begin to pray for divine appointments, and I mean must moments. I had to go through Samaria. I have to preach and must preach the gospel in these communities. I must go to his house. Can we not be on the same page and say, let's begin to pray for divine appointments? Listen, we didn't give you this card again for you to to have neighbor tic-tac-toe. If you haven't got one, they're out in the lobby. You can go home. You can figure out how to participate and be a part of this. It's not a project or people. 
But my wife and I, we were walking last night. We got home from a wedding, put on shoes, went for a walk, and we were talking about this very thing. Jesus had a divine appointment, a must moment. Can we not begin to pray? God, would you give me a must moment? Will you open the door? It may be tomorrow, it may be two years from now for me to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim that there's no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Would you give me a divine appointment? Teenagers, the same is for you. You live in a tough culture. You live in a skeptical age. Pray for your friends. Pray that God would open the door, give you that moment. But we also must continue to love because we are disciples of Jesus. We simply can't put the love of God on display if we don't spend time with Him. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 tells us, how will they know that we're disciples, Jesus says, if you love one another? So how will our neighbors, how will our family members, how will our friends know that we've experienced the same type of moment that Zacchaeus has experienced? They'll know it in how we love for each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. And just like we like to clean up the song of Zacchaeus, we like to clean up our story and say that it's not like everybody else's, but there is no distinction for all of sin. Love your neighbor as yourself, and you have experienced the grace of Jesus. One pastor says it this way, found people, find people. Those of us who have trusted in Christ, we have found, been found by Jesus. And now we, in turn, become neighbors to those who need the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray this morning.